want to say thank you for joining us here at His Hardline, where every day we always have something going on. We have three shows that we do. We have 1% with Him, where we spend a little time in the Bible, spend a little time with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And every once in a while, we'll mix it up, and we do a show called The EDU Spot. And every Tuesday and Friday, we have what's called a His Hardline discussion, where we talk about some deep topics. Don't forget to join us at www.hishardline.com. I want to say thank you again for joining us. Let's get started. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're located in the world. And you are tuned in here at His Hardline to another EDU spot uh, episode here where we go over the field training manual 2000-25. This is going to be part 12 where we discuss a representative government. And so if you're reading along, it's actually going to be lesson nine in the PDF that I have in the show notes, the link for the show notes. It is going to be lesson nine, starting with page 90. And this does go up to 155 pages. So we are well past the halfway point. And so we're going to try to get this wrapped up in the next couple of weeks here or sooner. So again, we're going to be talking about a representative republic. Okay. Let's get started. Now, the early forms of government. Until the 18th century, the world had little experience with republics. In the ancient world, Greece and Roman uh, in Rome furnished early examples of attempts to form democratic governments. In Grecian cities, popular government was practiced, the free people directly making the law in Rome, the townsman passed laws to his own advantage, and in the so-called Venetian Republic, the power was vested in a few nobles. Now, after the failure of many experiments in free government, the ancient world turned to monarchy, believing that the people were unfit to govern themselves. For centuries, political revolutions were struggles for the better government rather than self-government. Now, at the time of the Revolutionary War, the Republican form of government was discredited throughout the world, monarchy and oligarchies being considered the proper forms of good government. And then as far as when we talk about a representative republic, now, we often hear the reference to the great the American experiment. Now, a few races qualified themselves for self-government. Now, to establish that form of government was a long, hard struggle, which culminated in the Great American Experiment. Now, the United States set up a distinct and different form of government, and the product of distinct racial stocks and centuries spent in learning the principles and art of self-government. Now, in practice, our form of government is the most nearly perfect in securing individual rights and ensuring the blessings of liberty. It differs from previous forms and certain vital and fundamental principles which have some which have come to be known as American institutions. And among these is that of self-government by representation, which is the golden mean between autocracy and democracy. Now, as we get into a little comparative analysis, now the following comparative analysis shows the principal characteristics of the three forms of government. So the first one, you got autocracy, which is authority is derived through heredity. And people have no choice in the selection of their rulers and no voice in making of the laws. Got news for you. That's pretty much where we're at. People think we're in a democracy, but really we do have an autocracy going on because there are bloodlines that pre-select presidents, pre-select people in Congress, pre-select different leaders around the world. Don't think for a minute that that it doesn't even happen even on the state level. You better believe there are bloodlines and like 30 or 40 elite families in Michigan alone that basically run this state. And so result, so it basically results in, arbit, you know, in arbitrariness, ty- tyranny and oppression, which, again, we're all experiencing actively as we as we live in this life right now in this country we call America, which we are all given the illusion is free, which is not free, at least not yet. Now, attitude toward property is feudalistic in this, too. Now, attitude toward law is that the will of the ruler shall control regardless of reason or consequences. Let me repeat that. So, <laughs> again. Having an autocracy results in arbitrariness, which we have seen, tyranny, which we have experienced, and oppression, which we have suffered from. Now, attitude toward property is feudalistic. Again, does that kind of sound familiar with the World Economic Forum? You will own nothing and be happy. 
In fact, if you think about it, with our own homes, this is a little sidebar, I'm not reading right now, with our own homes, for example, we used to have deeds for our home called alloidal deeds. Now, if I recall correctly from what I just read not too long ago, we have what's called fee simple deeds. So basically, here's the thing. Even when our house is completely paid for, right, clean and clear, you still got to pay taxes every year, property taxes every year on that home. That home is not yours. And if you don't pay taxes, which basically goes to the elite, right, the elite bloodlines, they take your house away. Doesn't matter if you paid for it, still theirs. Yeah, this is the kind of crap that they, they that they, that this is the system that we live in. Again, people, if you think we live in a free system, in a free America, you've been heavily brainwashed. That's why we're here at his hard line. Secondarily, I should say, primarily is to try to get Christ in people's hearts. Secondarily is to try to get you to wake up to the illusions that we've been living under our whole lives. And again, I'm going to restate this. Attitude toward law is that the will of the ruler shall control regardless of reason or consequences. Now we get into democracy. Now that's a government of the masses. Now, whether you think we have a democracy or not, you're wrong. We do not have a democracy. But under a democracy, a government of the masses, authority derived from uh, through mass meeting or another form of direct expression results in mobocracy. Attitude toward property is communistic, negating property rights. And attitude toward law is that the will of the majority shall regulate whether it be based upon deliberation or governed by passion, prejudice, and impulse without restraint or regard to consequences. Now, results in a demagogism, license, agitation, discontent, and anarchy. And then we got what's called the Republic. The Republic is authority derived through the election by the people of public officials best fitted to represent them. By the way, that's the National Assembly. Attitude toward property is respect for laws and individual rights and a sensible economic procedure. Sidebar, that's called common law. Attitude toward law is the admin administration of justice in accord with fixed principles and established evidence with a strict regard to consequences. A greater number of citizens and extent of territory may be brought within its compass. Avoids the dangerous extreme of either tyranny or mobocracy. A republic results in statesmanship, liberty, reason, justice, contentment, and progress. It's basically the standard form of government throughout the world. But you would never know it living within the borders of America today. Now, a republic is a form of government under a constitution which provides, the ele which provides for the election of one, an executive, and two, a legislative body who, working together in a representative capacity, have all the power of appointment, all power of legislation, all power to raise revenue and appropriate expenditures and are required to create three, a judiciary to pass upon the justice and legality of their government acts and to recognize certain inherent individual rights. Now, the takeaway. Now, if you take away one or more of those four elements, you're drifting into autocracy and one or more of those four elements, now you're drifting into democracy and um, someone by the name of Atwood. That was a quote from Atwood. Now, superior to all others. Now, autocracy declares a divine right of kings. Its authority cannot be questioned. Its powers are arbitrarily or unjustly administered. Democracy is the direct rule of the people and has been repeatedly tried without success. And our constitutional father is familiar with the strength and weakness of both autocracy and democracy with fixed principles definitely in mind, def defined a representative Republican form of government. Now, they made a very marked distinction between a Republican and a democracy and said repeatedly and empathetically that they had founded a republic. Now, Madison in The Federalist emphasized the fact that the government was a republic and not a democracy, and the constitution makers, having considered both an autocracy and a democracy as undesirable forms of government, while a republic promises the cure for which we are seeking. And Madison states in a quote, in a democracy, the people meet and exercise the government in person. In a republic, they assemble, keyword, assemble, and administer it by their representative agents. 
Now, Madison also once stated, the advantage which a republic has over a democracy consists in the substitution of representatives whose enlightened views and virtuous sentiments render them superior to local prejudices and the schemes of injustices. Now, the American form of government is the oldest Republican form of government in the world and is exercising a pronounced influence in modifying the governments of all other nations. Our Constitution has been copied in a whole or in part throughout the earth. Now, no direct action under the representative form of government. There is no place for direct action. The inherent characteristic of a republic is a government by representation. And the people are permitted to do only two things. They may vote once every four years for the executive and once in two years for members of the legislative bodies. Now, as far as the methods of representative government, constitutional government may be set up under either a written or an unwritten constitution. Now, the unwritten constitution consists largely of customs, precedents, conditions, and understandings and is constantly changing. Now, any part, any party in power may enact legislation materially affecting the methods of government and the political rights of citizens. Now, a written constitution in the United States, the rights of the people are fully protected and the functions of government strictly defined in that written document, the constitution. Now, it is called a rigid constitution because the legislative power has no authority to change it. It is subject to amendment only by the authority and action of the people through their representatives in Congress. Now, in Article 5 of the Constitution, it states, The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both House Houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution or, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the Constitution, and when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states, three-fourths of the several states, let me take a pause there for a second, this is why your participation in the National Assembly, in your local state assembly, to at least join up as a member, as a, you know, be, become a jurist, all right, you know, for your state assembly, wherever state you reside in, and put out public notice, so this way you can be deemed a lawful assembly in the state, even if you're not settled. We need 38 states out of 50, that's three-fourths. Okay. It doesn't have to be a second full-time job, but your participation is needed. If you want this crap to end, what's going on right now, what you're seeing today, with our so-called government, you need to get involved with your local assembly in your state assembly. And then when you become assembled, you put up public notice saying that you have assembled. You got the necessary required 27 or 28 people for your state for, you know, for a grand year, you know, for, for, you know, the minimum you need to, you know, be a lawful assembly. You put out notice. I think it's like 27 plus one, but you put out notice and if I'm incorrect on that, I'm sure I'll hear about it and I'll, I'll correct the record. But if I'm recalling correctly, I think it's 27 plus one to have a minimum to have an assembly. And so, yeah, you put out your public notice to the state and your local county officials. And then you wait for a rebuttal for a certain amount of period, you know, a certain amount of time. There's a, I have a show on this, uh, by the way, you can find this 10 steps to an assembly very easy. And so, um, you know, you put out your public notice. And then you do it on the state level, and then you do it on a national level, and I believe on the international level. And of course, there is a waiting period for rebuttal. And so long as there, no, there is no rebuttal, acquiescence and silence is basically recognizing your lawfulness of your assembly. And again, it all takes time. It'll take you know, a few months. But we need 38 states. So that's why right here in Article 5 of the Constitution, that's why it says that by conventions in three-fourths of the states thereof, as, as one or the other mode of ratification may be processed by the Congress, provided that no state without its consent shall be deprived of its equal suffrage in the Senate. Okay, again, Article 5. This is why we need our 38 states in the National Assembly, because when you get your 38 states, here's what happens. The de jure government, the lawful government, rises up, and you know what happens to D.C., the de facto? in the corporate state in America as it sits, it sinks. It sinks in the mud and it drowns and it gets buried. 
Now, continuing on with this reading here now, it says, since the adoption of the Constitution, our nation has increased in population from 3 million to more than 125 million. Now, remember, this was, this was released back in 1928, so obviously we have way more people now. And has developed from a wilderness to the greatest industrial nation in the world. Now, the adequacy of our Constitution is evidenced by the adoption of only 19 amendments to modify the principles set forth in the original document. So as a wall of protection, our, our written constitution stands between the people and those who through lust for power, which we're definitely seeing today, or the temporary passions of the moment, or for any other reason for that matter, would trespass upon the rights of person or property. Now, as far as the consent of the governed, so this is so important, and this is what I've been talking about and been posting on my telegram. Consent is everything. Consent is everything. They have no authority over us unless we consent to it. So that's what we're going to talk about here in this section of the uh, of the training manual. So it says the original desire of the colonist was only to have a voice, quote unquote, in the affairs of the government. Now, as it states in the Declaration of Independence, it says governments are instituted among men and deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. We have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated tyranny, which we are seeing a repeat of tyrannical actions by our current corporate government. Continuing. Now, the situation so developed that the colonists totally dissolved all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain, and they established a new form of government based upon the consent of the governed. Now, consent, in quotes, in the drafting and approval of the instrument of government and its subsequent amendment was a new feature. Now, as far as the American Bill of Rights, when the Constitutional Convention was drawing to a close, several members who actually opposed the adoption of the Constitution, they actually suggested a number of amendments which they declared would make the Constitution acceptable to them, which that's rich because the Constitution is supposed to basically bind them so they're not usurping powers, but yet they wanted to add amendments so it would be acceptable to them. It's like, uh -uh, that's not how that works. So while the Constitution already remained already contained many provisions for the protection of the rights of the individual citizen, various states desired that it contained, can, it would contain further written stipulations, which would remove every possibility of doubt and prevent disputes by leaving no matters to interference or implication or construction. And so it was contended that the provision of the suggested bill of rights contained various exceptions not granted. Now, why, why declare that things shall not be done, which there is no power to do? And so as Madison once said, the tyranny of legislation is the most formidable dread at present and will be for many years. And so that of the executive will come in its time, but it will be at a remote period. So subsequently, many of these features were incorporated in the first 10 amendments adopted in 1791 as supplements to the Constitution and are called the American Bill of Rights. Now, the first, now this was um, by a Supreme Court case from 1897. So the first 10 amendments embodied guarantees and immunities, which are inherited from our English ancestors. So the enumeration of the constitutional rights Individual rights formerly guarded by original Constitution provisions were the no ex post facto laws, no bill of attainer, tainder, and no suspension of privileges of habeas corpus. Now, the trial by jury and at places where the crimes were committed, and it was definition of treason and limited punishment. You got the guarantee of immunity and privileges of all states to the citizens of each state. There should be no religious test before admission to public school or public office, excuse me, public office, to which the Bill of Rights added. There should be the right of peaceably assembly, peaceable assembly and petition to the government for redress of grievances. The freedom of religion, speech and press, right of the people to keep and bear arms, which is would be like your militia. Quartering of soldiers only as provided by law, protecting protection against unreasonable searches. Then you have the right of accused to indictment by grand jury with certain exemptions, exceptions. 
which would be no compulsory testimony against itself, no deprivation of rights without due process of law, no confiscation of private property for public use without just compensation. I'm telling you, this is the kind of crap that we definitely do not see. Let's see what else here. Right of a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury. We definitely don't see that. But with the assemblies, when you have a de jure grand jury of by and for the people, yeah, you'll have a speedy and public trial. And yes, it will be impartial. You would have the right to demand information concerning the nature and cause of the accusation. So you're not just going to be convicted and not be able to see the evidence piled against you because that is that should be your right, right? Just as an accused, the accused should, you know, face the accuser. Which actually leads me to the next line to be confronted with witnesses against him. And have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor. Have assistance of counsel for defense. The right of trial by jury in suits of common law where value and controversy shall exceed $20. Protection of verdict of said jury. No excessive bail required. No imposition of excessive fines. No infliction of cruel and unusual punishment. Rights retained by the people shall not be denied nor disparaged. And the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by, by it to the states are reserved to the states or to the people. Now, as you talk about government by representation, now the framers of the Constitution were opposed to direct government. The remedy sought was to be found in a representative government. And Madison declared that the object to which their efforts were to be directed was how to prevent a majority rule and at the same time, preserve the spirit and form of popular government. And so the representative form of government was her answer. And as it states in Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, the United States shall guarantee to every state in the Union a Republican form of government. Now, sovereignty was placed in the hands of the people. Which means no authority was delegated to any department either of national or state government, except by the people through the provisions contained in the Constitution. And as Cooley once said, there could be no question but that by a Republican form of government was intended a government in which not only would the people's representatives make laws and the agents administer them, but the people would also directly or indirectly choose the executive. And now as we get into like compromises, now in the establishment of our dual form of government, a spirit of compromise prevailed. And so the instrument offered by the makers of the Constitution was the result of compromise, especially in regard to the matter of representation. So the smaller states demanded equal representation with the larger. Makes sense. And so the compromise established two house Houses of Congress. You had the Senate, in which the state was given equal representation. And then you had your House of Representatives, in which the membership was apportioned to the population. And so the functions of the two Houses of Congress were specifically stated, and the powers were definitely limited. Which kind of brings us to the next topic of separation of powers. So members of the convention of 1787 feared the oppression of highly concentrated power. Now, whether on the part of an individual or the, ascend, uh, the ascend, ascendancy of a parliamentary majority, now any suggested scheme to be satisfactory must limit the power of government rather than expand it. But their plan of government provided for the division of power into three departments. So you got the legislative body working together in a representative capacity, having power of appointment, power of legislation, power to rise, raise revenues, and power to appropriate funds for public expenditure. And then you got your executive department, whose duty was um, law enforcement and the administration of the departments. And then you got the judicial or the law interpreting, you know, interpreting uh, department at the head of which stands the Supreme Court. And so now with all of that, you got to have checks and balances, right? So these departments were separated from each other as far as possible, cooperating when necessary. And so checks were put, you know, were placed upon each, preventing anyone from becoming absolute or despotic. 
and they were likewise balanced against each other in such a manner as to preserve the equilibrium of government. Now, states are balanced against the central government. And so you got your House of Representatives, which is balanced against the Senate, and then Senate is balanced against the House of Reps. And so, you, you know, the executive authority is balanced by the legislative. Therefore, the legislative department is balanced by the executive. And then continuing with the judiciary is being balanced against the legislative, executive, and state government. And so the Senate is balanced against the president in all appointment to offices and all treaties. And so the people hold a balance against their own representatives through periodical elections. Do we see that now? No, we do not. You know why we do not? Because they install these freaking freaks. They install these people. You know that, right? Now, among the curbs and restrictions on the powers of the central government, the strongest checks are establishment of a smaller legislative body with less changing personnel and longer term based on equality of representation, having coordinated legislative authority. And so with the exception of revenue bills, which are, you know, originate in the House of Representatives and treaties and appointments, which are committed to the president and the Senate, the public sentiment of an intelligent and conservative people, popular elections, short term, short terms of office. And so now you got your federal judiciary, and that's to accomplish the uniform interpretation of the Constitution. A federal court system was necessary, and it provided that the judges should be appointed by the president with the advice and consent of the Senate. And so through the system of checks and balances, the safeguarding of the Constitution is charged to the Supreme Court, which we definitely saw a huge illustration of several weeks ago uh, when we were, you know, saw those court cases get, you know, turned over, most of them, like Roe v. Wade being turned over to being a decision by the states. That was a good one. Now, however, every judge in the land is also bound under oath or affirmation to support it and declare void any enactment which violates its provisions. So when a state court fails to fulfill this obligation, overall its action is reviewable and reversible by the Supreme Court of the United States. And as Dicey once said, this system which makes the judges the guardians of the Constitution provides the only safeguard which has hitherto been invented against unconstitutional legislation. And so the courts keep each authority within its proper sphere. But they do have the power to interfere only when a concrete case is brought before them for judicial consideration. And so one of the exceptional features of the Republican form of government is that the independence of the federal judiciary, whose jurisdiction extends to all cases arising under the Constitution itself, cases arising under the federal law and treaties, and cases affecting ambassadors, councils, etc., cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, and cases in which the United States is a uh, is excuse me is a party and controversies between states, cases commenced by a state against the citizens of another state, and so the controversies between the citizens of the same state under land grants from the different states. So cases between American citizens and foreign state citizens or subjects. And so the balance of power has been preserved. But again, we don't see that actively in today's, you know, in today's government. Why? Because, again, they're all installed. It's all a corporation. Everything that we're seeing is a huge smoke and mirror show. It's all illusions. We don't have a... We have a we have a Republican form of government and it is rising. But again, it's 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 still rising because right now we still have a de facto element in D.C. that still has a good portion of control, unfortunately. Now, that's not to say that they are winning because they are losing power. That's why we're seeing all this stupid, chaotic, you know, chaos right now. And so as far as the delegated national powers, so under the plan set up under the Constitution, certain definite powers are delegated to the three departments of government. So among those powers delegated to Congress are the following, levy taxes, coin money, and as and let me bring up something here as far as coining money. 
Now, remember, among the powers delegated to Congress, levy taxes, coin money. I'm pretty sure Congress doesn't coin money. You know who coins money? A privately owned central bank by the Rothschilds. Yeah, the Federal Reserve System. That's not a government entity. That's a private corporation as well. Which is why we're seeing our dollar go, it's going right down the toilet. And so part of their, um, again, part of their uh, powers that they delegate is to pay national debts, regulate commerce, establish uniform naturalization laws, establish the post office, provide for a common defense, declare war, raise and support armies, provide a navy. And among the limitations placed on the powers of Congress are apportionment of representation and direct taxes among the states is determined by population. So no money can be paid except by law. And so all orders, resolutions, and bills must be sent to the president for his consideration. And so privilege of habeas corpus shall not be suspended except in case of rebellion or insurrection. And so among the powers delegated to the president are as follows. Execute the laws. Commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy. He commissions all officers of the United States. He grants uh, he grants uh, reprieves and pardons. He makes treaties by and with the advice and consent of the Senate. Nominates judges of the Supreme Court. He gives information to Congress and formal messages. He signs or vetoes orders, resolutions, and bills received from Congress. See, these are things they don't teach in school anymore. This is why I think this field training manual really needs to be taught in homeschooling programs and, and or in you know in the home for homeschoolers. Believe me, my daughter, when she gets old enough, you better believe she's getting taught this training manual because this, they don't teach us anymore. Or even half of this. They don't even teach us at all. I don't remember reading any of this, or at least most of it. Now, the power is reserved as, again, as it always should have been. The power is reserved to the state and people. Again, this is why the National Assembly, why you're joining your state assembly is so vital. Because your power is reserved to the state and the people within that state. The president and Congress can exercise only those powers directly granted them by the Constitution. All powers not so delegated are reserved to the people. And like it says in Article 4, which is an amendment to the Constitution, the enumerating of certain rights shall be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And then you got Article 10. Excuse me, that was Article 9, not Article 4. I read that Roman numeral incorrectly. That was Article 9. I don't know why I said Article 4, because that was supposed to be an INV, not an INX. Um, anyway, and then you got Article 10. And, 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 you know, sidebar. They probably don't teach Roman numerals anymore these days either. I mean, I, I from what I heard, this is just a little sidebar. I heard they don't even, kids can't even read time on an analog clock with regular numbers. Kids nowadays would probably be lost if they read an analog clock with, uh, with uh, Roman numeral numbers. They would probably lose their crap. They'd be like, oh, uh, uh, it was just a bunch of letters. Uh, I thought they were supposed to be numbers. That would be like today's kids. I swear they are purposely, continuously, by design, dumbing us down almost to a comical level. A sad comical level, I should say. Anyway, then you got Article 10, which is uh, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. And so the dangers of a representative republic, here are the dangers. Now, whenever a Republican form of government has not achieved success, the difficulty has not been with the system, but with its faulty application. And kind of that's kind of where we're kind of, I don't want to say where we're at, but where we could go if we don't get enough participation. So several danger, several dangerous experiments have been proposed, such as the initiative and the referendum and the recall and, um, and the election of judges. Um, departures from constitutional principles threaten to impair the efficiency of our representative form of government and, if continued, will ultimately destroy it. And now 
then it comes it comes to like the problem of centralization, right? Having a centralized government. Now, originally, every influence favored the supreme uh, the supremacy of the state as the center of gravity in government. Conferring strong powers on the proposed central government was feared and avoided. But with the development of industry and invention and business and transportation, you know, you had the different sections of the country were brought into such an intimate and immediate contact that the knell of state sovereignty was sounded and the supremacy of the union became inevitable. And so new and practical problems confront the government, such as increase of governmental business, the rise of technical questions in government. And then you had the popular demand for greater speed in government action and increased size and its unwieldiness of legislative bodies and so on and so forth. And then there goes, you know, there grows the beast into something that can't be, you know, can't be tamed at some point, which we're there. Now, opposition to a centralization of power in the national government rests upon the general dislike of concentrated power and its destructive influence on our philosophy of government. So then you got the sectional and class legislation. So nothing is more repugnant to the American citizen than special or class legislation. And the founders of our government sought unity rather than in differentiation, uh, differentiation. And so the civil war that took place, it settled for all time the question of the the indissolubility, boy, that's a big word. I don't know why I can't pronounce that. The indissolubility, I can't even say that word, forgive me, of the union. And so the general welfare, welfare, wow, that was a very stupid word. (laughs) My God. Usually I can pronounce a lot of words. That word? Forget it. That was that's a dumb word. Um, the general welfare of the nation forbids sectional or class legislation, and so there must be no preference to the north, east, south, and west, as our motto should be: America for all, and all for America. Absolutely. And then you have your multiplicity of laws. So the modern tendency of government is to create innumerable laws as corrective or restrictive measures. And the appointment of special officers for their enforcement with the consequent restraint of state, community, and personal rights without regard to the fact that the majority is unprepared or not willing to accept or respond to the restrictions imposed. So relief from encroachment upon the rights of the people will come when each citizen better learns the art of self-government and exercises his right of franchise. I'm going to repeat that because that's a little important. Relief from encroachment upon the rights of people will come when each citizen better learns, better learns the art of self-government and exercise his rights of franchise. And that's what we are doing in the assembly. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to do another separate show, but I think every week on Sunday, I'm going to do a separate like 10 minute show. It's going to be called the, you know, the weekly progress report or something. I don't know. I'm going to, something stupid. I'm going to name, I'm going to find some dumb name for it, but to talk about the progress of the assembly, how we're growing. Here's what we need. Like I said, we need three fourths of the states. We have 50 states. Three fourths of 50 is we need 38. We need a union of 38 states that have declared their assembly that they have lawfully assembled. Again, not a difficult process, but it takes time. It's not overnight. It's not even in one month. It does take time though. And when you declared your assembly lawfully in public notice, nationally and internationally and statewide, and as so long there's no rebuttals, which there can't be rebuttals because anybody that's a foreign officer or, you know, in foreign government, they can't, they can't rebut it because they all know they are all illegitimate government office holders. So they can't rebuttal anything. Once we have our assembly, again, doesn't mean you have to be settled, but once your assembly is officially declared through public notice and there has been no rebuttals to any of those notices, once we hit 38 states, game over. It's going to be game over for these people. And we're really going to truly experience the benefits of the great American experiment, which is then going to be considered the great American adventure. It's going to be wonderful. And it's all going to start with Michigan. 
The assembly is very important. Your participation is very important. Again, it doesn't have to be a full-time job. As I always say, it does not have to be a full-time job. That's why I'm doing this podcast early because I, you know, once every two weeks, we do an hour meeting or, you know, a, a meeting every Sunday, at least for our county. And then there's one on the state level if you choose to go. Which typically specific people who hold offices or appointments in the county level typically go to those state meetings and then they bring their information to the rest of the assembly members on the county level. So you're not having a huge giant state meeting of like a thousand members because then production and business would not get done efficiently. And since I am not an office holder, I don't have to go to these meetings. I choose to go when I want, but I don't have to because I know the representatives of our county will come back the following week to our county meeting, which is today, and, you know, tell us what they learned. But your participation is needed on the county level. Now, as we get into, like, topics of socialism and communism and anarchy, now the problems of capital and labor, employer and employee, cannot be solved by unrepublican methods. So the suggestion of special legislation is socialistic and communistic in its theory, and wholly repugnant to the American character. So socialism or communism, which negates property rights, anarchy, which negates law, substitution of direct action for representative government, a government ownership, all should be avoided at perils that threaten the very foundation of this republic. And so the ignorance of citizens, as Webster said, on the diffusion, on the diffusion of education among the people rests the pervert, uh, the preservation and perpetuity, uh, the perpetuity of our free institutions. And so in the early colonies, one of the first buildings to be erected was a schoolhouse. So here was laid, developed, and subsequently spread the ideals of liberty. And so one of the foundation stones of representative government is education. An intelligent and informed citizen is an asset to the nation. I'm going, to, I'm going to pause here for a second. This is one of the reasons why I do this, this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, because there's not enough people in this nation that take the time to do their own research and read what's on, especially in this national-assembly.net website. All the documents are right there. But there's so much, and I get it. It can be overwhelming, but all you need to do is just start somewhere, okay? And then you'll start connecting dots the more you read. But, you know, you can't it's, – it's like, the, like again – it's like, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? Which is kind of disgusting. I don't know why people bring that up. I mean, I don't know why just a cow, because cows, most people eat beef. You don't really eat an elephant, but I get why they say it, because an elephant's huge. But so is a cow. You're not going to eat a cow all at once, especially a bull. And so that's why I do this podcast. I go and do the research and read and try to regurgitate it in simpler forms out here on this microphone so people can at least start to get informed because most people would rather listen to a podcast than read a bunch of PDFs on a screen. I mean, if we're going to be honest, listening is easier than reading. But I do encourage people to, to read. But if you're going to listen, I encourage people to take notes because when you take notes, you internalize the information much um effectively in your in your mind it marinates you know more in your brain continuing on so the great educational system of america makes it possible for every citizen to best fit himself for the task of life so so in the common schools are are taught a common language a knowledge of american tradition ideals and philosophy of government I'm pretty sure you don't get that now, but, you know, so through education, the barrier that separates the citizen from the greater enjoyment of his freedom is removed and a better understanding of American ideals is established and the influence of subversive propaganda is in large measure destroyed. So safeguards against that. So in order to assure the perpetuity of to our form of government, certain safeguards are necessary against encroachments, both from within and without. So you got the direct responsibility to the people. And so having derived its just powers from the consent of the governed, the government of the United States is directly responsible to the people as the highest authority. Did you hear that? The government of the United States is directly responsible to the people as the highest authority. Now the United States is, is governed by public opinion and by the ideas and feelings 
of the people at large, the frequency of elections and the short terms of office give the people control. And so by reason of this, of this, our representatives are slow to attempt any official action overstepping the bounds of their authority or beyond the approval of their constituency. But again, we don't see that today. Now, immigrants who enter the United States to exploit her resources without a thought of contributing a share to the general welfare are a menace to our country. Now, again, I'm reading this. This is not my opinion. I'm reading this. Because I could see somebody taking that and be like, wow, Jason, that is very uncool of you to say. <laughs> but it's not, it's not wrong. Now, many seeking, and, and, and for the record, let me say this. I am all for immigration. My grandmother was an immigrant from Germany, okay? I think, well, not think, because it is a fact. We are all immigrants, okay? Because only the nationals that were here at one point were the Native Americans. We all came from Europe at some point. We're just a bunch of mutts. So I could see, again, even as someone who has a grandmother directly from Germany that moved over here as an immigrant, I'm all for immigration, but properly. All right. Let's not, let's not, let's not again, take from those who work very hard and just take for yourselves. Like I'm not for that. If you're going to be a contributing member of society, welcome to, I welcome you with open arms to this country, but you better be prepared to work like the rest of us. So, Again, many seeking a haven of relief from the oppressions of poverty and ignorance and restrictions, they look for a place where gain is made easy and the burdens made light. And so comes in the spirit of the belief that America owes them a good living and security and peace without a thought of the price that has been paid to obtain these blessings or the cost of their maintenance. Like healthcare. And so against these America claims, the fundamental right to close the door for this is our home. And we have the right to select whom we will to enjoy its privilege and bounties. Absolutely. But America is basically made and refuses to any the right to alter the plans and destroys any part of the structure or rebuild it to their liking. And so as far as knowledge concerning the Constitution. Now for. In appreciation of our government, the citizens should know that the Constitution is and what it contains. Now, Atwood said that the selection and combination of these elements was a master achievement of vision, ability, and governmental genius on the part of the delegates to the convention. Again, Atwood said that. And he should thoroughly understand that the purposes of government as set forth in the preamble to the Constitution, that the Constitution established a strictly representative form of government and the general provisions in regard to amending the Constitution when necessary. So so all of this is essential to his proper regard for the sterling worth of of our benefit heritage, excuse me, our beneficent heritage. And so the only antidote to the erroneous and dangerous ideas of government now rampant through the world and threaten America is a better understanding of the meaning, value, and importance of our American philosophy of government as set up in the Constitution. Here, we're going to be wrapping it up, so just bear with me. But this is the most effectively meet, this will most effectively meet the propaganda of communism in its attack on our social, economic, and political and national institutions, which aims to destroy the family as the foundation of our society. Our system of capitalism, which has produced the great economic success of America, our Republican form of government, and our spirit of patriotism. And so the preservation, and Washington said this, now the preservation of the sacred fire of liberty and the destiny of the Republican model of government are justly considered as deeply, perhaps as finally, staked on the experiment entrusted to the hands of the American people. And then Webster, last quote, Webster said, 
If in our case the representative system ultimately fail, popular governments must be pronounced impossible. No combination of circumstances more favorable to the experiment can ever be expected to occur. The last hopes of mankind therefore rest with us. And if it should be proclaimed that our example had become an argument against the experiment, the knell of popular liberty would be sounded throughout the earth. That's so true. And so, yeah. And so that, again, is part 12 in discussion of our representative republic. Now, when we come back here, let's see, today's Sunday, so maybe Wednesday. Wednesday, maybe tomorrow, probably Wednesday. The next section, and like I said, so now we're going to be getting into page 103. So like I said, there's 155 pages of this field training manual. So we're almost done with this. And then um, and then I'm not sure exactly what we're going to move on forward to. But the next section, though, is about personal responsibility. This is something we, we don't see much of these days with a lot of people. I mean, it exists, but not on the level that it should. And so we're going to talk about individual responsibility and, you know, our national character, things like that, our public service, law and order, public opinion, things like that. And so, um, yeah, this is a very, I tell you, this is such a very important training manual. I think all homeschools, all schools, schools in general should be teaching this. But back to a sentence that this was saying earlier here, I just kind of want to touch on because this is important. This is so important where it says, um, this will most effectively, effectively meet the propaganda of communism in its attack on our social, economic, political, and national institutions, which aims to destroy the family as the foundation of society. Do you want to know why they want us to tear down the family? We've seen the destruction of the family. Remember, remember when this was made. This was released in 1928. FDR ordered the destruction of this field training manual of 2000-25 back in 1934. Why? Again, it instills proper values and ethics and morals and character in this nation. And, and it, it basically emphasizes the importance of a republic and how important families are to, to the success of a beautiful nation under God. How do you destroy the family? Remove God out of the public square. You remove Bible readings out of schools. You institute pornography to all ages and all, you know, both sexes, men and women. Nowadays, there's just as many women engaging and watching pornography as there is men. In fact, there was an episode of a SGT report that I was listening to. I forgot who the guest was, but very knowledgeable guy. And he was talking about how pornography is used to destroy nations. They offer it free on public TV. And somehow, some way, it gets people calmed down and distracted. And, <laughs> and that's when the slow chipping away of liberties and freedoms takes place. That is a work of the devil, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, t- I'm telling you right now. And as somebody who used to be really heavily engaged in pornography myself, even before I was married, let me tell you, it is not good. And I learned a lot, actually, about the porn industry. A lot of these people, unfortunately, a lot of them are sex slaves and trafficked people, and some of them even underage. And here's another little sick little details for you men out there. Those women that you're watching that you think is beautiful with makeup and smooth legs and all this other stuff, I've got news for you. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them, yeah, you better believe they're gender flip, you know, weenie snippers, as, as Scott on Bards FM would say. Yeah. You ain't looking at true women there. It's all Hollywood. It's all Hollywood sickness is what you're watching. It's disgusting. You're looking at abused people. Again, this is the devil's workshop. Get out of his workshop. It is not a place to be constructive. In fact, it's a place that's destructive. It's not a workshop. It's a workshop for you know destruction of the mind, of the soul. And I tell you, I think I want to do a show on this, on a His Hardline discussion, talking about this more in detail. I got some friends of mine that haul fuel in another company, 
and they have a ministry within their church that helps men break away from the addiction of pornography. Pornography is such a destructive force in this nation. I don't think people realize just how how much of a revenue maker it is for the people that, well, the wrong people will just say, and how much of a destructing force it is, not just on a nation, but in the household. There's so many of my uh, neighbors that I'm not obviously going to ma- mention names, but I know on a personal level through private conversations and people at work and just people in general that struggle with pornography and it affects their marriage. It affected mine. And then God took a huge mallet and crushed me. I mean, he crushed me. Two years ago in September, he crushed me and broke me into a bajillion almost unrecognizable and unrepairable pieces. And he started working on me and rebuilding me up. And one of the biggest things was getting away from that garbage. Because what people don't realize is that you can't have a fruitful relationship and a fruitful um, marriage if you're watching fake perverted, abusive actions on a screen. And I believe the Bible is very clear in it. My wife always thought it was a Catholic thing because, you know, in the Catholic Bible, you know, it says, you know, they consider pornography uh, a form of adultery. I'm like, well, I got news for you. I've read like five, six different versions of the Bible and it all says the same thing. I can't remember what book it was, but it basically, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, it basically says that uh, lusting over dead images, which what's a dead image? It's, it's, it's a photo, right? Video in today's standards, right? Video, photo, it's a dead image. Okay, there's no life to it. Lusting over a dead image is a sin. Yes, it, it it's, might as well be adultery as well. And so what people don't realize is there is a that, that that pornography is such a an effective weapon against the soul, against the nation, against the household. And so back to my buddies that I work with, they have a ministry that, again, like I said, they help uh, they help men uh, get out of the addiction of pornography and help flourish their marriage. And so I actually want to have those boys on because they're great men, great guys. Um, gentlemen, you I mean you wouldn't imagine it with truck drivers, right? But they're good men, and so I want to have them on periodically, um, whenever they're you know they can make themselves available to have to have them on, and I want them to discuss their ministry. And their ministry, ironically enough, is called Line in the Sand. <laughs> and uh, and thank you for your comment too, by the way, Lizanella. I really do appreciate that. She she just wrote on here on the chat board. Thank you, Jason, for the message. Our marriage was almost destroyed as well by pornography, but, but God, and you know, and this is something that every marriage deals with. It seems like at one point or another, I I got some neighbors. I mean, I, my heart breaks for some of our neighbors because they're almost at the brink of destruction and divorce and they have little kids and I'm trying to help my wife and I both are trying to help walk and again, I got to be very careful, even when I'm not using names, because if they do happen to listen to the podcast, I don't want them knowing, thinking that, oh, my God, you know, he or she is putting my business out on blast with the neighbors. But we're trying to help walk some of these individuals, we'll just say, through the path that my wife and I went through and how we came on top. And so... I don't know. It, 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 I, and I keep saying, I said, it's not something you're going to be able to fix. This is a God thing. You got to pray. You got to pray. You got to pray. You got to pray. Yeah, you got to shed light on it, like Lizanella just said, because light beats the darkness without fail. And so it's funny, too. I'll, I'll tell you this little short, little, you know, few, you know, 30 second story. About a year ago, we started a home church because we, you know, I liked what Scott talks about in his Bards FM show. He talks about the seven pillars to, you know, county by county initiative. And so, you know, because of him, I started my home garden. We do homeschooling. I, sh- I say we, my wife does. 
Um, you know, we, we tried doing the home church thing. We do have, you know, started a home-based business, obviously not to where we can, you know, jump from the dock to the boat and completely be independent, but, you know, still got an idea to where we could make it full-time if we actually put forth effort. But right now I'm still driving my truck hauling gas. But my point is, is that, you know, we, we started a home, a home church like a year ago and we had a few households come down to our house and it was great. Started off strong. But then as I started talking about my own, okay, now I wasn't even asking for anybody to talk about their own stories. Now, if they shared it, great, but it wasn't required. I was just talking about my own experiences with my wife and what my engagement in pornography and how that almost destroyed our marriage and our family and our lives ultimately. Again, because again, back to what I was saying, to kind of bring this back into the 2000-25 training manual. It says they aim to destroy the family as the foundation of society. You can't have a good, strong foundation of society or a system of capitalism, which produces great economic success of America without a strong family. You can't have a Republican form of government without a strong family. And you can't have a true spirit of patriotism without a strong family. And with a strong family, what comes with a strong family? God, God has to be centered in the middle of all of it. That's the key. And so back to the home church, when I was started talking about my own issues with it, I could start seeing the eyeballs shifting at each other, right? The, the other couples in the, in the room. It was kind of actually, in a way, it was kind of funny to see. Because you could tell I hit a topic that everybody was struggling with. And they were looking at each other. And I could almost read the bubbles over their mind like, you listen to what he's saying? Are you listening? Listen to him. Like I could see that bubble. Well, needless to say, the participation among the neighbors dropped. And it was just me and my wife at that point. <laughs> I was like, apparently that subject really struck a chord and made people uncomfortable. So yeah, but you know, I'm not going to shy away from it because it's an issue that needs light shed on it. Again, like Lizanella was saying in the chat board, Give it light and light beats the darkness. So I think I've beat on this topic enough. We're almost a little over an hour, but I guess here's my point. What's my point? In order to proceed forward as a successful nation, we need to unite in love with God, accept Christ in our heart and pray because God and Christ are the only ones that can help you beat these types of addictions like pornography like drugs or alcoholism or um, gluttony with the overeating of food or gambling. God, if you really have it in your heart to want to, to change, you really have to pray and believe that God can do all things and can transform you into a new you because he certainly did it for me. I was a terrible husband. I was verbally abusive. I was, an, I was engaged in pornography. I was a terrible father. And I'm so glad that God did what he did. Because let me tell you, when my wife uttered those words two years ago on her birthday in September, you are an abusive man. I tell you what, she thought I was going to fly off the handle when she said that because that was the first time she ever spoke truth. She never uttered those words until that night. And we've had many, 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 many fights that almost led to our divorce. But when she spoke those words, let me tell you what, it was the perfect storm. Because God used her and spoke truth. And boy, when that truth came out of her her mouth, Boy, did it pierce my heart sharper than any sword man can develop. Oh, boy, did it, did it, and it hurt. It hurt because you know what? I had no response. I had no response. That was a God moment right there working through my wife. I had no response. And typically, old Jason would have flew off the handle and would have been ultimately defensive. Be like, oh, you're full of crap. You, you don't know. You have no idea. And blah, blah, blah. Like, that would have been old me. But that was the perfect storm where God used her, spoke truth, and boom, shattered me in that second. 
So anyway, I'll talk more about that when I have the boys on to talk about their line in the sand ministry. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, this is one of those things that's near and dear to my heart. I want to see marriages flourish. We can't be a blessed nation without good blessed marriages. And we can't have good blessed marriages without having God being centered into it. We walked away from God. We need to walk back to him. And so, uh, and thank you, Liz and Ella, for saying that. God bless our marriage. I really appreciate it. And may God bless your marriage, too. Seriously. Um, let's see. I'm just reading a quick question. Could you please review where on the National Assembly website I can find the training manual? I'm searching for the forum. Oh, yeah. So when I post this show, I, I actually have the links on the bottom. If you go to the show notes, you will see, like, you know, my website, my Telegram and all that stuff. Um, there is a link. Let me, I'm just pulling up another window here because I don't want to guide you wrong here. Just bear with me. So Podbean real quick. Let me look. Let me go to another show, the previous show. So yeah, if you go to one of these episodes, all of them should have it. So here we go. Uh, part 11. Let me click on this. So you click on it and then, yeah, you go to the bottom. So it's actually more toward the top. So you'll have, it'll say TM 2000-25 PDF link and then a colon. And then you'll see, it'll say U.S. Army Field TM 2000-25 PDF. It's in red uh, red font, and it's underlined. And that's a link that'll take you directly to the PDF. It's such a great read. And so I'll put this as well on the notes, so you will be able to have access to it. And so, uh, yeah, it's hard. I, it, it, I know, you know, it's funny. I don't even look at notes myself when people say, oh, I'll put it in the show notes. And then I always say, oh, I'm going to look at the show notes. And then I never do. And then I forget. And then I end up losing track of what I was going to look up. But anyway, so I really hope you all have a great day. This was a little bit longer of an EDU spot uh, episode than typical. Um, but again, very important stuff because, again, it all links together. If we're going to come back as a republic, a, a successful republic where the people are self-governed, we need to have God back at the center of everything, and we need good, strong families. It's the only way. And so with that, I bid you all adieu. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I just hope everybody has an abundance of good health, and may you enjoy the rest of your weekend. And in case I didn't say at the beginning of the show, this is Sunday, August 21st, 2022. And I hope you all have an outstanding week, weekend, night, day, wherever you're at in the world. All right. We'll be back here tomorrow. Have a blessed day.